Hi, welcome to Offsiders. I'm Ian. And I'm Encore. And today we're talking to Jenny Vostek. Today we sit down and talk to Jenny Vojtek, who's a graduate student in the STEP lab here at BU, where she develops quantitative methods for clinical voice assessment. Today we get into the niche field of speech science, why she came to BU, and life lessons from her clinical work at the STEP lab. Yeah, we just want to say thank you to Jenny for coming on and talking to us, and we hope you guys enjoy. Jenny. I am a fifth year doctoral student in the biomedical engineering uh, program here at Boston University and I am in the step lab for sensory motor rehabilitation engineering which is a huge mouthful Um, but I mainly do um, quantitative assessment or trying to improve quantitative assessment of voice disorders in that lab and should I say more? Uh, yeah, sure. You, talk, yeah. talk a little but, bit about. Yeah, you, I guess can, like, what do you want? Can you dumb it down for me? I mean, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. So, um, okay, should I just restart that then completely? No, that's that okay, was great. Great. We can cut um, this part out if you don't like it. Though. What I honestly do not care. Um, no, but that, yeah, we like sciency, but yeah, for the kids yeah. at home who don't kids know that are definitely not okay. here asking you questions. Yeah. Um. So what I try to do is I try to make the way that. Your doctor, if you have some sort of uh, some sort of speech or voice issue, I try to make the way that they figure out what kind of issue it is better. Mm. Because the way right now that people do it, it's largely subjective, meaning that they kind of they listen to your voice. They can put a camera into your nose and look and see how how everything looks back there. But it's all based on their interpretation of. Uh, what they see, what they hear, your history, that sort of thing. And so one big thing that the field of speech science is trying to do is trying to make the way that we assess what we call voice disorders a lot more objective. So it's less based on the interpretation of what the doctors might say and more based Mm on uh, quantitative measures. So we can put a microphone on you as we're speaking into microphones right now. We can record your voice saying something And then we can analyze that using different measures. And whatever those measures tell us, they can give us an objective like, oh, this these values might mean this. These values Mm -hmm. might mean this. So Mm -hmm. that's mostly what I do is I try to make that assessment more objective. So (laughs) that's interesting. The end goal would be more like standardizing this. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So a lot of. Like I was saying before, a lot of um, the way that they assess voice disorders right now is just listening to people talk and they assess different attributes of their voice. So how breathy it sounds, how hoarse someone is, that sort of thing. And the problem is all of these subjective ways either don't get at a specific aspect that my lab studies, which is muscle tension uh, in your throat, or they are just way too subjective and are just unreliable. And so what my lab is targeting, again, is laryngeal muscle tension. So tension that you might use to speak. So Interesting. Yeah. Is this a relatively new field? It's like, I wouldn't say, I guess I would say it's new. Um, like the way that you're doing it? Is yeah, like the, way that, like the way that we're doing it is fairly new. My advisor is a huge pioneer of one of the measures that we're targeting in my lab and that my whole dissertation is based on, which is interesting. Um, 
Could but, you go into a little bit more detail about that? Yeah, the specific measure. Yeah, specific measure. Yeah, it's called relative fundamental frequency. Mm. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of like my baby now. Um, <laughs> and so we call it RFF. And it basically... So when we're talking, we have what most people would say is like, oh, the pitch of your voice. So it's like some people have higher pitches than others. Um, but what that really uh, constitutes is how fast your vocal cords are vibrating in your throat. So vocal cords is kind of like the dumbed down way that we say it. It's vocal folds. And they're essentially this these tissues that are in your throat that are about the size of your thumbnail. And when you're voicing, so saying, ah, uh, for instance, mm-hmm. they're just vibrating really fast. So we perceive that as pitch. What it really is is fundamental frequency of our voice. And so relative fundamental frequency evaluates changes in your fundamental frequency as you transition to something that's voiced. So again, ah, uh, to something that's not voiced. So for instance, so okay. yeah, just kind of like air, turbulent air being pushed. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we can uh, use RFF and we can, we, we're very fond of this nonsense word in my lab, EFI. Because you, tr- you transition from something that's voiced to unvoiced and then back to from something that's unvoiced to voiced. So we can measure RFF during these transitions. And we've actually seen that we can differentiate between people that are healthy, people that have a voice disorder that's characterized by excessive tension. Um, and in general, it, it seems very promising because we can, we can acquire it through a microphone. It's simple and it's objective. So... The hope is that we can push it towards standardization. Yeah. yeah. Is, is it, how far is it in the clinical process? Is there certain stages? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, <laughs> oh, so that was a lot. It is, <laughs> it is, no, no, it is relatively new. So my advisor has been kind of looking into it and doing different things with it for mm-hmm. about like 10 or so years. And different groups have been picking it up as well and looking into it. Um, but there's a lot of different steps before it's just clinically adopted. Okay. Uh, so one of the things that my lab and different people in my lab are working on is like, how reliable is it if we get it from the same person across different days or if they're in different rooms and that sort of thing. The other big issue, which is largely what my dissertation is targeting, is the way that the gold standard way of calculating it is like you have to have someone sitting at a computer and painstakingly like going through someone's like speech signal Mm -hmm. and just identifying different things and it takes forever. They have to be trained to do it. Not great. Um, So we have these algorithms and they are pretty okay, but my whole duty is to try to improve them um, relative to what we would get when we have that trained person going through and again painstakingly measuring the signal so so you're developing algorithms to basically analyze speech or like voice pattern data yeah yeah that that's a pretty good summary of it yeah and the goal is is eventually we can kind of push this towards clinical implementation Mm -hmm. the speech world is a little i guess it's not very foggy but it's not like we have to push something to the fda for it to be um used in clinics um it's more of just like if we show that this is good people might start wanting to use it because it's easy and so it can be used in research it can be used in clinics and it's not trying to replace how people um diagnose voice disorders we it's the goal of it is to just kind of be used in assessment Mm, um alongside all of the other tools that people use 
So that's that's actually so cool. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's, it's so niche, and I had no idea. I was, yeah, it. I was just about like that's the exact word niche. Yeah. Like, how did you get into speech speech science? That is a really fun question. Um, so in my undergrad, I did bioengineering as well, but. I was more interested in nanotechnology, so I was in a nanotechnology lab for about two years. And in my senior year, we had to do a design project, like I think BU does too for the biomedical engineering people. Um, And, well, I had no idea what I wanted to do, and the only reason I found a project was my friend said, hey, do you want to help us with this? they were all very into biosignals and kind of like hardware, software, engineering. Um, and I had no idea how I would help them since I only did nanotechnology, very different field. Uh, but I ended up getting into EEG work, so measuring the electrical signals from your brain. And from there, I just kind of took off and I was like, biosignals are pretty cool. You can do a lot with them. There's a lot of different kinds. And so when I was applying to grad school, I was kind of thinking I could keep going into nanotechnology or I could do something more interesting like biosignals. And so uh, my advisor actually found me and was like, hey, we have similar interests. Do you want to try like rotating in this lab? Because my program, when you join the first year, you just rotate in different advisors' labs and then you can choose one. Mm -hmm. Um, And I knew right away I just wanted to join. It was a whole different field. It was, there was a lot to learn, but it was super fun. Yeah. So... And so how I've never heard of like biosignal labs before, like how, how extensive and broad can that be? And like, I, like we see you in such a small aspect. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's true. But yeah, how much can that entail? Well, so, I mean, think of it this way. Speech is one of the primary methods that people use to communicate. This is true. So (laughs) measuring speech, I mean... You can use you can measure it a lot of different ways. You can use microphones. Um, you can use accelerometers that you place on your neck, for instance. Those are just two um, two ways to do it. But like the world of speech in general, you can assess it a lot of different ways. So biosignals is very vast. Um, for instance, some people will put electrical bands around your chest, and they can measure your breathing as you're speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, but my lab in general doesn't just do speech. Um, for instance, my one of my other interests is electromyography, so measuring the electro, electrical activity of your muscles. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully after I graduate, I'm actually going to be moving into that area and probably keeping up with my acoustics and speech science world. But it's just biosignals very vast. So yeah, yeah they, they're all similar in some way because they keep us going. That's really cool. Yeah. Do you do you find yourself working in a very interdisciplinary environment? Because it sounds like it would be something that you would have like. It sounds like all of oh, those. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it sounds like engineering, neuroscience, like every, like a lot of different yeah. things. Yeah. One of the reasons my lab is so great is because it's so interdisciplinary. Um, so right now I think the biomedical engineers are taking over. But my advisor is actually only affiliated with biomedical engineering. Her primary appointment is in the speech department. Um, And so we, of course, have speech-language hearing sciences students come through. We also have um, computational neuroscience students. And we also, in our lab, we have speech-language pathologists come through. And there's, in general, just a lot of of different people. I think we even have someone that's health sciences. Really? So, yeah, it's, it's very interdisciplinary. It's fun. 
That's really cool. Yeah. Do you guys have openings? <laughs> I mean, yeah, apply. Feel free. <laughs> we'll see how you are. Sure. <laughs> Ian, Ian's, Ian's an expert. Hey, oh, okay. All right. Expert in what? <laughs> Not the direction I thought we were going. Like, <laughs> I'll be honest with you. So, Ian, tell us about nope. uh, your... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that's good to hear about that path. But you said when you were studying like nanotech and you were like really into that. And you kind of just... You just kind of said that you just went straight to grad school. Was mm-hmm. that a straight jump, or did you move around, like, find out what you liked and no. stick with nano? Or? That was just a straight jump. And mm. okay. <laughs> thinking back, I don't know if I would have done the same thing. I okay. mean, it's great because I'm going to be graduating, and I'm only 26, and I'll yeah. have a doctorate, so that's fantastic. But at the same time, it was a huge learning curve, um, and, I mean, I guess it's great because I've been able to see myself grow throughout the years, like... I'm sure. better at kind of talking to people about my research. Of course, I'm not fantastic, but mm-hmm. I'm better at doing that. And I kind of understand problems more globally rather than getting very specific into them, which I know I've had problems with. Um, so it's great because I've been able to see my growth. But at the same time, I don't know. I don't know if I would have ended up in the same place if I ended up taking a break. I mean, I might sure. have kept up with nanotechnology. I don't. I can't imagine myself doing that, but. I mean, it's always possible. It's a, it's a. It sounds like a completely like different thing. Like you work a lot with people. Is I work right? a lot with people with a lot of different people. Was Do that you... something you were looking for? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> when I started out, um, I when I came to Boston University, I was a huge introvert. Um, I never really imagined working with people, but. I that was one of the areas I actually saw myself grow in. I do love interacting with people and it's great because in my lab we don't just have, you know, your typical healthy people. We have people with Parkinson's disease, people with different voice disorders. Um I've worked with people with severe speech and motor impairments, um with in uh Nebraska with one of our collaborators. I've been able to interact with a very diverse group. And I think that's given me a lot of perspective and also drive to kind of keep moving. Mm. And it's also just opened me up. So I'm not yeah. as much a, of an introvert. Mm. So it's it's definitely not something I imagined myself ever doing, but we, I'm definitely glad it happened. Is there we, a we per- personal Sorry. growth? <laughs> <laughs> is we there a it. person or like a specific person that you like definitely remember? After, like you have so many patients. Is there someone that's specific that you remember? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So it's interesting that you asked that because um, last week or yeah, last week I was actually in Nebraska um, at our collaborators rehabilitation center. And I was there about two or three years ago. And I we had maybe three people that were the same. And of course, I remembered them and I had conversations with them, asked them how they were doing. Um, And it's so awesome that they, they're so happy that you remember them and you're so happy yeah. they remember you and you can just like pick right back up and keep talking. Mm-hmm. And it's really great. A lot of the people actually that come into our lab, um, we get their contact information if they want to do more studies and a lot of people do. And so it's nice because you remember them, you're spending a, a few hours with them at a time um, so you can have conversations and everything. So definitely remember people. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I never yeah. thought that that would be a part of working in a clinical setting is actually establishing relations with the people that you're working with? It's a little, yeah, it's a little interesting in my lab. I think the main thing is we run a lot of different tasks that are multiple hours at a time. 
Um, so like one of the studies that I, I participate in is about two hours long, um, which doesn't sound like a lot, but if you're with that person for two hours straight, you kind of get to talking after a while. But I've also run studies that are about like a half hour. And mm-hmm. at that point, it's just you, they come in, you run the study, they're gone, you forget about them. But it's also just when you get to talking with a person, they sometimes will tell you stories. They'll tell you about their families. They'll tell you about why they're here and they're participating in your research. So I've had people say, oh, my family member died from Parkinson's. And so it's like, yeah, it's it's fun to talk. They're very passionate. You're very passionate. It's a good connection. So yeah. How so like we've discussed this is a very niche thing. How many other labs do you know that are doing this sort of similar research? I actually know of a lot. There oh, there are surprisingly okay, really? a lot of conferences that I've been to. Speech science conferences? Yeah, oh. speech science uh, conferences. And so uh, there's actually a very kind of big group, and it's easy to get to know people in it. So I'm going to a conference, for instance, in February, and it's going to be – it's only going to be like maybe 150, 200 people, but I do know a good chunk of the people that are going. So. Well, is it is it in in Boston or is it just in in general? It's in Santa Barbara, it's California. It's in Santa Barbara. Oh, great. Yeah, right on the right on so the that's beach. Why. That's why. Yeah. Yeah. It's gonna be great. I'm very excited. <laughs> I hate the winter. It's terrible. <laughs> yeah, Boston. It's, yeah. it's freezing. Yeah. It is so freezing, and I keep telling people I'm miserable, and I can't wait for it to get warm. And they're like, "We're still in the up and up." Like, just settle in. February is coming. That's yep. all I've heard. I am not excited. Yeah, the com- the conference is in late February, so it'll be a nice break. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that. The weather's horrible. That's yeah, the weather's horrible. There's, yeah, there's no way to respond. <laughs> you just other put than me yes. in a bad mood. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I feel terrible. Yeah, I'm sorry. So, uh, <laughs> so, you obviously don't like the weather here. No, I hate it. So, what, what brought you here? Um... <laughs> yeah, so actually, the thing that brought me here was partially my advisor's lab. I had read about her. So BU is interesting because in the program that I'm in, um, the different faculty members can kind of reach out and say that they want to meet with you when you come for prospective weekend if they mm-hmm. think that like your interests overlap with theirs. So that's exactly what my advisor did. And so... I knew that there was a good biomedical engineering program, and it was very broad. So there's, like, synthetic biology, there's neuroengineering, which is what I'm considered for some reason. Um, So there's just, like, a a very broad range of things that I could do. And when my advisor met with me, I was – well, pre-advisor, I guess, at the time – I was blown away. She's a crazy powerful woman, and she's very (laughs) young and prestigious in the field, and she knew what she wanted, and – she did such interesting work that I had never heard of. Um, so I was like, I'll give it a shot. I, like, in general, all of the people that I met during my perspective weekend were great. They're all so nice, uh, so friendly. I still have a lot of the same friends that I did when I first came here, just even visit mm-hmm. people that didn't even end up going here. Um, but yeah, so Boston really just drew me in mostly with the people and the research. And I in undergrad, I had no idea what was going on up here in Boston. It's not something I'd really considered because I wanted, I'm from Maryland, and so I wanted to stay in Maryland to go to school. So I went to University of Maryland. Um, but I was like, mm, maybe I'll branch out and go somewhere else in the United States. So yeah. Boston so ke- drew me in. So you came to Boston to get your master's first. So right? I came to Boston to get my PhD. Okay. But my program is great because along the way, you can apply to get your master's. So I have my oh. master's now. Was that a lot extra? Or are you saying like throughout the work that you've it is, done? It's essentially throughout the work. So 
In my program, you have to do a prospectus defense um, where you propose your thesis project. And after you successfully defend your project, then you can apply to get a master's. And that's exactly what I did. But you have to make sure that you have a certain number of courses done and everything. Um, but besides that, it's just kind of like an along the way step. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of programs don't really offer that, which I kind of liked. But it's very impressive, honestly. I've, I haven't heard of that personally. Yeah, no, me neither. Before, besides BU, I had no idea that it was a thing. Mm hmm. So uh, one thing that I thought was that was pretty interesting is repowered rehabilitation technologies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. So that's actually what my senior design project was. Mm -hmm. And so we ended up, well, I guess I'll say what it was first before <laughs> I say what happened to it. Um, <clears throat> so we, it was my senior design project where a group of four of us were trying to develop um, a portable stroke rehabilitation system. Um, where uh, someone who had had a stroke could do this sort of game that we used with an, with, um, an Xbox to kind of track their movement, <clears throat> um, to track their movement. And they would have an EEG cap on their head so that we would be reading their brain activity as they're doing this game. And we also had a wristband that would provide vibrotactile feedback. And so the goal with that system was trying to get them to kind of rehabilitate if they, for instance, kind of lost the ability to move their arm as well um, from the stroke, trying to kind of rehabilitate that. And so we were trying to get them to enhance their motor activity. Uh, so we would be able to provide them neurofeedback from what we were getting with the EEG cup. Um, and if they were kind of moving away from a target that we had on the screen in the game that they were playing, they would get vibrotactile feedback to kind of guide them back to where they were supposed to be. So that was the motivation for that project. And we ended up trying to patent it. Mm. And so we ended up getting a provisional patent. And we we're all very... Uh, inspired and trying to move forward with it but then we all ended up moving to different parts of the united states Aww. so we ended up not maintaining it <clears throat> but okay. it was successful it was pretty successful but <laughs> i think yeah. that's an important take yeah <laughs> so that is really what got me into biosignals was i was on that eeg team mm. um and yeah i kind of wish that it did go somewhere but just none of us were in maryland anymore and one sure. one of um one of my team members is actually up at MIT here, and I see her every now and then. But we're all kind of doing different things, so we figured it would be best to just kind of let it go. And you started that as an undergrad? Started that as an undergrad. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. <coughs> it was fun to see, like, a lot of the, uh, not to put them down, but a lot of the different um, senior uh, capstone design teams just kind of did a project just to get it done, and yeah. we were actually yeah. very passionate yeah, yeah. and very inspired to do it. And yeah, I'm I'm definitely a little sad that we didn't keep going with it, but hopefully the professor who was our mentor kind of kept it going. Mm. Sure. Yeah. Well, was it something that you would want to do in the future, some version of that clinical? Yeah, now it's funny that you mentioned that because now seeing um, kind of what the goal of that was, I definitely think that there's new technology out there that would make things a lot easier. And I think that there's probably something out there that's already on the way to actually mm -hmm. creating that very same device. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the areas that I actually do research in is it's not the same as uh, that stroke rehabilitation system, but it is 
it's a similar field where instead of actually trying to rehabilitate someone, you um, are trying to help them speak mm-hmm. because they can't speak normally, and that's augmentative and alternative communication. Um, so it's one of those things where in the rehabilitation system that we were creating, we are using uh, the Xbox Connect or what, yeah. how, whatever it's called um, to be able to track someone's movement. And people are actually trying to do that for augmentative and alternative communication, um, like an eye tracker or a head tracker, trying to track someone's mm-hmm. movement so that they can move a cursor on a screen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's one of the, the fields that I work in, which is pretty neat. So it's not like I left it. It's that I'm just kind of moving on to different things, sure. I like to think. I actually do think there is a few labs doing that. They're using a lot of VR technologies mm-hmm. for uh, patients who have been, like, paraplegic and, like, yeah. s- uh, semi-paralyzed into helping movement in their, like, spine and, like, their limbs. Yeah, it's just really by, cool. Just by, like, showing them themselves move and, yeah. like, interpreting it themselves as, like, oh, I can move again. And yeah, it's, like, it's really, really cool. it's really interesting and it's definitely really innovative and I, I love that. I mean, I love that I got to be involved in it at such an early stage, but definitely VR, I think, is a lot better than the Xbox Connect. Yes. At the time, because that was, I think that was one of the big areas where we were struggling was it wasn't great at tracking movements, but meh. It was an an innovation for its time. It was an innovation for its time. Give it that. The Xbox Xbox Connect. It was pretty great at the time, but we didn't know what we were missing. If you had an Arduino, you could take it, too. You could do whatever you wanted with it. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, Encore, get it. Yeah, <laughs> ask a question, please. This Fine. Little... Okay. We could just sit here. <laughs> it is peaceful. Nice. Well, one one thing I'm I'm curious about is how has your your research in the speech sciences affected like your perspective on life in any way? You've talked to a lot of these people, especially we talked about the the clinical aspect. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm proud of you for asking that question. <laughs> that was a really good question. That was a good question. Um. It's definitely affected my life in positive and negative ways. Um, I guess I'll start with the negative first because I think it's kind of funny. Um, so now that I'm, I'm kind of in the speech world, um, I'll just be watching TV and I was like, that, I'm like, that person's voice sounds terrible. They're so dysphonic. Like there's mm-hmm. something abnormal sure. wrong there. And I'm like trying to like, figure out what it is. And I'll like look them up online and it's like, oh, they had surgery for this. Okay. Or like at some point I was like, oh, Miley Cyrus, her voice sounds crazy in this way. And then, like, a week later, she's, like, getting surgery on her on her vocal cords. So it's one of those things where I just, I'm hyper aware, I think, of sure. people's voices. You're so attuned. Yeah, to I it. try. I mean, not in the good way. Sure. Like, now I'm just kind of crazy. But um, I think it's really interesting that now that I have that perspective, I can, like, use it, and I see it in everyday life. Um, but... So I guess it's not really, neg- it's kind of a negative, um, but the positive is I definitely, I had no idea that voice disorders were so prevalent and so much of an issue, um, and now that I'm in the field, I am talking to so many people that are like, oh, this is obviously such an issue, which we've been trying for years to fix it in this way or in this way, and there's so many people that are affected by it, um, but I, I just want to kind of tell people like oh you should do speech research it's so cool it's so interesting and I had no idea that it was a thing at all but yeah yeah, I think the biggest thing that I've kind of learned is the awareness Mm -hmm. that I didn't really have before um but that was I think that kind of ties back to in undergrad when I was doing nanotechnology things 
I didn't really know what I wanted to do, and I didn't really have any perspective of what was out there necessarily. And even though I'm kind of tied to the speech world now, and like I love it and I don't want to leave it, it has given me perspective of kind of looking into things that I wouldn't normally look into, Mm -hmm. like different areas of research that sound interesting, but I'd never really thought about or whatnot. Um, So... Yeah, I guess that's the big thing is it's giving me more perspective to have more perspective. That's that's so interesting that like you hyper analyze sounds. Does yeah. that affect your music taste? Um <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm I honestly don't know what it's like to have perfect pitch, but I would imagine that if I had perfect pitch, I'd be hyper analyzing like everyone's singing abilities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I think now that I am less tone deaf than I was since at, since joining the lab. I can. <laughs> it's affected I can, your own singing. It's affected my own singing for sure. <laughs> a lot of people night. in my lab are actually really good singers, and it's really embarrassing because I have no idea how to sing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I've become less tone deaf, I would think. Um, but so yeah, I do. I do pay attention to people's voices more, and it has given me more insight into that. Um, but so when I asked you, <laughs> so when I asked you, how has your research affected your perspective on life? It's 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 singing. It's singing. It's I am I am not ashamed to do karaoke now. <laughs> well, now that you know what sounds bad, what's the best voice? Like, what I should people know. shoot for? Mm-hmm. Is it like silky smooth? Or so, like- one thing, one one conference I went to, I was sick, um, and my I promise this is related. Um, <laughs> I, my advisor said, "Okay, so try to talk with your best voice," and my voice was just like all crabby and disgusting. Yeah. And so I just kind of like sat up and I was like, okay, okay. And I just started talking and she was like, see, like there's no phlegm or anything. You just need to kind of like think about what your best voice is. And so I think that's kind of what you should strive for is what you think your best voice is. I know that's kind of like a cop-out mm. answer, but actually it's not, okay. It sounds like a <laughs> it was cop-out a very answer. diplomatic answer. It is a diplomatic <laughs> answer, but you should actually think about it and okay. try to speak with your best voice. Try to be articulate and clear. Mm-hmm. Try to not necessarily sound pleasing, but just like sure. try to be able to get your point across. And it's that's one of the things I also never really considered before. My advisor likes to tell me I'm very lazy when I speak, which is super <laughs> true. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to smash all my words together and talk really fast. But when I try to speak with my best voice, I definitely think that I'm projecting better. Sure. Um, so, yeah. I, I, I remember we met... Uh, at the Neuro Academy Fair. That was fun. And you were a panelist. I was. Talk about how that happened. Oh, yeah. Um, so out of everyone in my lab, I am probably the one that wants to go into industry-related mm-hmm. research or mm-hmm. just maybe industry in general. A lot of people in my lab want to kind of stay in academia, become professors, and teach Um, That sounds absolutely disgusting to me. So (laughs) my advisor was just kind of like thinking about how she got this invitation to speak at this panel, um, which was trying to kind of uh, teach people more about industry. Mm -hmm. And she couldn't make it. And so she asked if I wanted to do it. And I said, sure, why not? Um, So that's kind of just how I ended up on the panel. It was really interesting because... Everyone else on the panel was this established CEO yeah, of something. And then there was me, a lowly graduate student. But I also had a lot of perspective, I think, for all the students in the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, I think that there was 
there's a lot of synthetic biology talk that I couldn't really participate in, mm-hmm. but I think it could have been a good panel um, yeah. if it was more geared towards my research. Everybody brings something to the table. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I thought, I thought you did a good job. You Thank held, you. You held your own. Thank you. I saw, I saw on the brochure, it was like, it was like um, the senior person of like the CEO mm-hmm. of this like technology company and I was like Jenny from Boston University yep. let's go didn't even, didn't even have a degree <laughs> on there or anything it's like all these PhDs and MDs and everything. I was like we and made it me. current student <laughs> <laughs> so that was a little intimidating but it was fine and I actually um, met up with one of the students that was in my lab um, maybe like two years ago and they they had graduated from the neuroscience program um, as an undergraduate and they left, but they, I guess they stuck around in the Boston area and they mm-hmm. were there because it pertained to what they were doing. So I got to catch up with them and see what they're up to. So, and I met you Yeah. and now I met you. Hi. So yeah. <laughs> there's some positives. Some yeah, positives. there's some positives. Yeah, good takeaways. And yeah. People. So, um, what, what do you think takes too much of, of your time as a graduate school? Which, what is something that you wish you could just like fast forward? Ooh, classes. Uh, Mm. (laughs) I think classes can be great, and I've definitely taken great classes. But the way my program works is that they make you take um, some mandatory classes, and then they make you choose some electives. And the two mandatory classes, well, one of them was just completely synthetic biology related, and the other was just very broad. And so it's like if you're interested in one aspect of what they were teaching you still had to learn the rest of the semester and we would have exams and so it's like you would be asked what like one question on the thing that you're interested in and the electives in my program not to bash my program I do love them but they the electives that they would kind of put out or a lot of them were synthetic biology related which again my program is very heavily synthetic biology um but the ones that I wanted to take weren't necessarily offered when I could take them. Um, so I ended up taking some electives, and I got all of those out of the way. And then we had our qualifying exam. And just to give you some perspective on how unrelated these classes were to what I do now, um, during the qualifying exam, when I took it, you would have a panel of three faculty members. They could ask you anything that they wanted about these two classes Mm -hmm. and then six papers uh six journal articles that they gave you to read about like a topic that you had to choose they could ask you literally anything and it's like a two-hour just kind of interrogation session it's them (laughs) and then you in a room yeah yeah what spotlight on you oh god it sounds like no there was not it was it was it wasn't that bad it wasn't that bad um, but, <laughs> but again, to give you some perspective, one of the people asked, okay, so what happens when you take a drop of glucose and just drop it in some water? I didn't know what he wanted, but I so worked my broad. way through de- deriving Fick's equation, which I can't even tell you what that does at this I point in my life. I have no idea what that is. Great. Me neither. Um, but <laughs> I got through it. And then one person asked me okay, so you gave us this nice bio of, like, whose lab you want to work in, what your interests are, and it doesn't seem like anything from these two classes or these papers that we're giving you really relate to what you want to do. Can you tell me, like, 
anything that might relate to these topics because I have to ask you about something. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up talking about thermodynamics from nanotechnology that I had learned in undergrad because that was literally the only thing that had applied that I could think of. Mm. And so I was deriving all of these different thermodynamic constant, constants or something. Um, and it, again, it was fine. I don't but... even understand the format of this. Are you speaking? Or oh, it's writing? all it's all oral. How do you uh. s- you speak equations? Oh, oh. they give you <laughs> yes, you speak them. No, there's no, there's a just... there's a whiteboard, and you just oh, God, you okay. don't have any notes or anything. You're just up there, just talking for like two hours. Yeah, the more people, that was terrible. <laughs> the more people we interview, the less I'm likely to go to grad school. All right, I, they've I, changed I, it, so it's less crazy now. Yeah, but... that's, that's the other thing they say is that they're phasing it out. The yeah, GRs, yeah. Oh, uh, they're phasing it out. Oh, they'll, they'll be gone oh, by the time you get Oh, are they there. really? Apparently. They've been saying that for so long. I don't... Uh, that was a lot. I don't even remember <laughs> taking them, to be honest. It was just a blur? It was yeah. that. It was that. <laughs> I remember waking up early and going to some college campus and taking them and then going home and going to sleep. Mm. And, yeah. That sounds that sounds like that sounds like the move. I've always nope. been terrible at those standardized tests like the SATs and everything. Never really did great on them. Mm-hmm. Well, look at me now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> doesn't prove anything. It Just, sure doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> we all get to where we're going. So so how is the class structured for when you start grad school? Is it like you said there's electives. Do you do you pick electives? Is there core classes like there's mm-hmm. an undergrad? Yeah, so there are, in my every program's different. In my program, there were two classes that we had to take, and again, those were kind of synthetic biology related or just very broad, like quantitative physiology of the body, mm-hmm. whatever that means. Mm-hmm. Um, and the besides those two core classes, you had to take about three or four electives. I ended up taking um, a speech science class, well, two speech science classes, brain computer interfaces, a vision class, just things that I thought were interesting and related to biosignals in some way. Um, but there wasn't, because my program is biomedical engineering, there's not a lot of speech that you can really do. Um, so I took the the few technical electives that I could that could be from different departments. And then from there, I just kind of tried to choose things that I was interested in. Um, but then we had to do TAing, where we had to, I guess it was teaching fellow and not assistant yeah. because we didn't get paid for it. But, um, for that, I chose to do, uh, the signals class, the undergraduate signals class, which was a lot of work, but I wanted to learn signals mm-hmm. because my undergraduate never taught me that. Um, so I kind of consider that another class I took and that was probably the most time consuming class, but. It was a good learning experience. So, it's, I think the speech science is, is is so cool, but it sounds like there's a lot of like barriers that that happen when you're trying to do something very niche, mm-hmm. something very interdisciplinary. What advice would you give to someone who's who it just clicks and they want to do something that's that niche? First, power to them um, because finding something very niche is awesome Mm -hmm. Uh, and especially so fast. But I would probably say to find research that interests them and then talk with whoever is in charge of the lab or whatever field you're trying to go into um, and see if they can help you find a path to get there. Unfortunately, in my undergraduate degree, I at some point wanted to do prosthetics design Mm -hmm. and my teacher who taught biomechanics or something similar that said there's no way you're getting into that through bioengineering you need to switch fields um but 
thinking back on that, I don't think that's true. And I think that was just the wrong person to ask. Mm -hmm. um, and it was someone that also didn't really want to spend time with students. And so it's not someone I would want to work with anyway. So just find someone who's open, who's passionate, um, who does work that you're interested in, see if there's a way that you can get there and just try to get there in some way. I know that it's been a lot easier for me because I got to kind of choose what I wanted to do in graduate school and the lab that I wanted to join had openings. But just seeing people who are passionate about what we do, like the person in my lab who is in health sciences, um, who's been working there for like two or so years, like if they like it, then whoever they're working for will probably try to help them and bring them in if they want them. So, yeah. So find the right people. Find yeah. the right people and find the right research. Yeah. And also keep an open mind because if you get shot down and you're like, I hate this field, that's okay. not great. Mm -hmm. So yeah. where's, where's the line that you draw uh, when, people, when people shoot you down? Like people are like, I don't want, like there's, there's no room for this. I mean, like when do you when do you persevere and when do you stop? Yeah, that's a very open <laughs> yeah, question. That's a very abstract uh, question. Well, they're all so specific, aren't they? <laughs> like you go to a new place with new ideas and new you know motivations, and you get there and you try and you try. That's fair. <laughs> that's, fair. that's fair. I was I'm, getting your perspective. On. Yeah, no, I mean, if you like something and someone shoots you down from joining their lab, see if there's another lab that you would want to join. I think that's completely reasonable. If someone tells you you're terrible at this and you don't, you think that you could grow from it, then I think that's another, another way or another sign kind of telling you maybe find a different environment to really try to grow in instead of saying, staying in the same one or just kind of being kicked out and switching to something else. Um, if, if you see yourself that you're not, that I guess you can't really, <laughs> there have to be people that, like, see that they're not growing. I don't know. Um, but if someone has kind of, like, a very real conversation when they're saying, I don't see you growing in this field, mm. um, you've had a lot, of, like, a lot of attempts to do this and I don't see it, and you still don't kind of are productive, then I would say maybe that's the line to draw it at. Mm. Um, that maybe it's just something that, not necessarily that you're not good at, but... I don't know. That's it's a tough question. Mm -hmm. And it, in in this field, sorry to cut you off. No, you're fine. <laughs> in this field, we've talked to a few people, and there is that plateau of like monotonous. Like this is what I do. Mm -hmm. This is how I do it. What's next? The same thing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe a change of pace is always a good thing. There's always another lab. Yeah. There's a lot of monotony in my lab, so usually. I think communication might be the biggest key for your question mm -hmm. um, because there, there are a lot of there's a lot of just tasks in my lab where you're doing the same thing over and over again, and a lot of times we assign those kinds of tasks to undergrads when they first join the lab to see like are they dedicated to showing like all of this time doing this mm -hmm. work even if it's boring because a lot of research is boring. Mm -hmm. I do a lot of boring analysis, but. It's to answer really awesome questions, yeah. and it's worth it for me. It's like, is it worth it for them? Do they not like it? Are they not good at it? If they're not good at it, let's try something else. And when I feel like I like one of my undergraduates isn't really great at doing something, I talk with them, and I see if they can grow from it. Mm -hmm. And if they don't think that they're interested in something, I see if there's something else that they can do. Uh, it's one of those things where you keep an open line of communication. Um, 
And I definitely see in my lab that communication has been an issue in the past, not just like with undergraduates and graduate students finding stuff that they like to do, but just making sure that things run smoothly. Um, it's what a, Communication's huge, and I don't think people realize it. I think that might also be going back to a question that was asked from one of you a lot earlier of <laughs> what kind of have you learned from being in your lab? Um, communication is huge. And it's one of my, it, it kind of be immoral. I don't know. It's one of the things that I hold very near and dear. The values just like, you live by. Yeah, yeah. Just like communicate. Don't be passive aggressive. Don't be aggressive. Um, but just talk. Mm-hmm. If you don't like something or if someone, hopefully if someone doesn't think you're doing great, they will talk to you about it and they will give you opportunities to kind of fix it and grow. So Yeah. I think monotony is like, at least for undergraduates, maybe even graduates, it's like a huge fear when you're Mm -hmm. going into academia. Mm -hmm. Is that like, that's something that scares me. Is that what, what primarily drives you away from academia? No, what drives me away from academia is teaching. Oh, <laughs> I'm just not a fan of teaching. Um, <laughs> yeah. So when I was when I was um, being a teaching fellow for the signals and systems class, I really liked being a TF. I liked if people had questions, I liked answering them. I like helping people, but I don't want to develop plans and. I one of the big things when I was being a teaching fellow was I felt like it was when I was there I loved it let me get that straight but around it and like doing the planning and the homework and everything Mm -hmm. I just felt like it was a huge waste of time and of course it wasn't but I just it just made me feel terrible to think about um and so I teaching just um and I forgot what your original question was now that I went on this rant about teaching. <laughs> I think I forgot. Oh, academia oh, yeah, monotony. Yeah, yeah. I remember. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, ah, teaching. <laughs> teaching is terrible. <laughs> uh, no, props to people who do. But um, no, I, I feel like anything can be monotonous. Like the research I do now has its points of monotony, but mm. a lot of times it's mostly just are you passionate about what you do? Um, are you innovative? Can you create, come up with creative solutions? And I think that's a lot of what both academia and research and industry are, are well, bleh, what they really need. Mm-hmm. Um, they need solutions to things and they want to, they want you to investigate something. And it can, again, it can be monotonous. It can be hours and hours of analyzing speech signals, but you're getting somewhere and you're making progress and, no one likes monotony. I guess some people like monotony, but eh, I just don't really pay much <laughs> mind. I just like get through it, and I mm. I don't look forward to doing hours and hours of speech analysis. But mm-hmm. if it gets me somewhere, I think it's worth it. It's a lot of delayed gratification. Yeah, and and that's also one of the one of the things that I think that you really learn in graduate school is kind of patience and drive to do things, as lame as that sounds. But just wanna. Like, seeing that you have this awesome research question, you develop methods to really investigate it, you're investigating it, it's great. It might not be the answer that you re- originally thought that you were going to arrive at, but it's it's neat either way. Mm-hmm. And it's your own thing. And it's your own thing, yeah, that's that's exactly it. It's it's cool. <laughs> I think that's a great note to, to end on. Yeah? Do you, have any, do you have any other questions? Well, I was just going to ask, if you went back and did it, all oh, again, ew. even though how horrible and gruesome Ugh. that would be, where do you think you would end up? Hmm, 
if I went back, I think... Okay, are you saying that I have all the knowledge that I do now? <laughs> sure, sure. Because that would be a lot different. Travel. It would be the same, I think, if I whatever went back. Whatever hypothetical and... extension <laughs> you need. <laughs> um, I think that it would have given me a lot more perspective about kind of why I wanted to go to graduate school in the first place. To be honest, like, after I graduated from undergrad, I, like, didn't know what I wanted to do, and I thought going to graduate school would buy me more time, and it definitely has. Mm -hmm. Um, But I went in not knowing what I wanted to do, and I went in not knowing what I wanted to study, um, if I wanted to stay in academia or industry. I didn't even know that there was a spectrum of academia and industry, which I think is a huge misconception. No one ever really talks about, but that's a whole other story. Um, but going back, I think having the perspective I have would really kind of nail down what I wanted to study a lot faster. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would also give me, there are a lot of failures in what I've done and trying to, going back to me talking about my dissertation work, trying to create these algorithms. I made a lot of mistakes and I learned the hard way how to kind of correct for those mistakes and have a bigger perspective of what the big problem was rather than, oh, well, this is a little issue. Let me go off of that. Oh, it creates another little issue. Let me fix that. And just kind of bandaging things along the way. Um, Just really saying, okay, what is the most reasonable way to do this? Um, And just all of the passion that I've kind of found for speech science having that going in i think that would have made me not want to apply to the biomedical engineering program if i had that perspective Mm -hmm. um i think i might have wanted to do like actual speech or maybe stay in biomedical engineering but just i don't know again knowing kind of what i wanted to do and knowing that this is a very very vast um, area of research that I had never considered before. Yeah, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna rewind just a, a little bit. Oh, we can't you, dive you, in. You you said a spect. Uh, there's a misconception about the spectrum oh, of of industry and research. And there work. is, We're running and on 50 I do not know right about this. <laughs> I, I am I am I am <laughs> as students who are about to get launched into this field. <laughs> I could just get. I mean, I could just. Without diving into anything, I can just say there is a spectrum of academia and industry. So I encourage people to look that up because there mm. there are documented things online. It's just one of those things in undergrad where it's like, oh, what do you want to do when you graduate? You want to go into academia or industry? That's yeah. not it. Like one of the company that I'm hoping to work for once I graduate does industry driven research mm. or research driven industry, however you want to say that. Um, so they apply for grants like you would in academia, but they do research and they do industry as well. Like they have, they have a manufacturing, uh, area in the same site and it's really cool. It's just, there's a research arm where they use the technology they create to investigate different questions. So yeah, it is a, I think it's a misconception that there's only two things you can do. So yeah, that's a hot take. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Mild. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you so much for joining us yeah, today. Yeah, of course. Always great to hear a new perspective. Yeah, yeah, thank you for having me. Awesome. That's it, sure. Okay.